Hello, my name's Mark Brown. Um, if any of you are Twitter users, you might know me as Mark1 in 4 off of that Twitter. I mainly do mental health stuff. And I'd like to welcome you to this afternoon's discussion, Writing to Recovery, From Memoirs to Creative Fiction, What Role Can Writing Play in Overcoming Mental Health Issues? Um, I think it's an incredibly interesting topic to be discussing because in some ways, I think we might be in the golden age of writing about mental health difficulty. Um, with the advent of the internet and the web, there are more people than ever um, writing about their own experiences of mental health difficulty and of mental distress. There are more ways than ever of getting what we write in front of people who might want to read it. Um, that didn't happen in previous pe periods of time because we all had to make it through editors and people who were looking to make money out of what we produce, etc., etc. Um, so this afternoon, for the next hour, we're going to have an exciting question time style discussion with um, probably much less intensity and much less raised blood pressure, fingers crossed. Um, and we're going to be sort of asking a lot of questions really about the act of writing and its interaction with mental health. So what does writing about mental health actually change? Does it change us? Does it change the society that we live in? Is there a difference writing to help us understand ourselves to when we write for other people to read and understand? Um, just why does experiencing bad, difficult and challenging stuff lead to so many of us wanting to set down those experiences and those thoughts in writing? And also, are there any drawbacks to writing about mental health? Um, I should introduce our panel now. They're in no particular order of preference. Um, so we start with Douglas T. Stewart, who's a musician best known for his work with the BMX Bandits, who has made several valuable contributions to the Scottish Mental Health Arts and Film Festival. Do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I've um, led a group called BMX Bandits for 30 years, but unlike most conventional groups, it's almost like an extended musical family. Um, when members leave, they don't really leave, it's like Hotel California, you can check out any time you want, but you can never leave. They tend to drift back into the family, and so it's a never kind of changing feast. And I, I think that very much suits what BMX Bandits are about, because... It's very much about my life and about the friends I make and the people I fall in love with. And so it's, I think for a lot of people when they're in a the group, it's a very compartmentalised part of their life. But for me, it's definitely not like that. And people who have not actually even ever been in the group, but almost become part of the family as well and become part of the story that the songs, the songs tell. Champion. We've got Michael Rowe, who is an Associate Professor of Psychiatry at Yale University. Do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Hi. Um, yeah, I uh, work at a place called the uh, Program for Recovery and Community Health, which is part of the Department of Psychiatry at Yale. And uh, we do work around uh, the concept of citizenship, recovery, uh, peers working in, in mental health care, uh, peer support, and uh, uh, writing and mental health have been a big part of my life for a long time. Uh, sometimes running parallel to each other, sometimes intersecting. Um, I've written a memoir about 
uh, my son, who died in 1995, who had some mental health issues, but uh, also some physical issues, and uh, wrote about his experience, my experience with him. And within, within our program, uh, the arts are important. We, our office is, is an art gallery. So we, uh, uh, we combine the arts and uh, uh, issues of uh, mental health difficulties and challenges. We have an arts and literary journal called The Perch. Uh, and from that perch, looking at uh, the arts and, uh, and mental health issues. Champion, thank you. And finally, we have Gail Paul. Oh, no, we don't. Finally, we've got John McCormack, who runs the Right to Recovery project for the Scottish Recovery Network. Do you want to say a bit, John? Um, I work for the Scottish Recovery Network, and we're obviously um, interested in how people live well despite um, mental distress. And um, my background's in counselling. I worked for years in homelessness in Glasgow with rough sleepers and addiction, serious mental health problems, and I became very, very aware of the, the sheer amount of trauma that's out there. And I became absolutely fascinated by why it is that people survive life's traumas and life's distress and how it is people make a life in spite of all the difficulties that they faced, and in actual fact how some people's apparently dysfunctional behaviour is actually very intelligently helping them to survive and cope with life and all its difficulties. I'm just really, really interested in that. And I think that brings up a story, a whole narrative about mental health and recovery that is very rarely told. And it's the whole strength side of why people are surviving and coping and most of the emphasis is, is naturally, I, I would argue, has been on distress, deficits, loss and problems. And yet there's an enormous scope for each of us to tell stories about internal resilience, sheer bloody-minded determination and all the rest of it that gets you through life, really. Champion, thanks for that, John. And finally, we've got Gail Porter, who is a writer, TV presenter and also a mental health campaigner who is currently working on a book about bipolar disorder. And I think... Do I have to move that bit now? If, if, or do you want me to shout? How does this work? Oh, is that for me? Use that. Thank yeah. you. Uh, I, I don't know what you want to say. Uh, yeah, I work on TV, telebox thing, and um, was a TV presenter for quite a long time. And, yeah, um, as you said, I'm writing a book about... I was sectioned a few years back and have suffered from um, <clears throat> depression and uh, borderline personality disorder... And, and I'm doing stand-up comedy. Fantastic. Great. That's it. Thanks. You can have it back. Um, Gail, am I right in thinking you've put something you'd like to read just to get us started? Are you Do right? you want me to? Yeah, just, just a little oh, bit. Okay. If you've got something, that'd be awesome. If you don't mind, that's all right with everyone. Is that all right with everyone? Yeah. Champion. It's just the beginning bit of the book that I'm trying to write, which is going on forever. <laughs> Because I have good days and I have bad days and then I'm lazy and then anyway that's not interesting. Yeah. So Writing's is... awful. Yeah. Don't do it. It's absolutely <laughs> terrible. It'll do you nothing. I had hair when I started. <laughs> I'm joking. Well, did I? Yeah, probably. Anyway, this is just kind of like the synopsis of what the book's about. Well, it's the beginning of um, before I got sectioned. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm a bit nervous. 
I'm scared, and there's no one resembling the Chief or Randall Mac McMurphy anywhere in sight. But there is Jesus in room 12. I'm not entirely sure which one of my issues has got me into this situation. I kind of thought I was your average kind of girl next door. Okay, there were a couple of issues. Addiction, for one. And when I say addiction, I really mean addiction to everything. Both good and bad for me. I swayed more towards the bad, mind you. Alcohol, drugs, starving myself, cutting myself, sex and exercise. The latter two could fall into the same category, depending on the participant in the bedroom. (laughs) All of those things gave me a buzz for a while, apart from if this sex was shit. But where did that leave me after the buzz was gone? Sectioned, that's where. Oh, there's a bad word coming up. I won't say it, I'm gonna say see you next Tuesday. Okay, so what happened was, I walked it right, okay. You bold, see you next Tuesday. And that was my welcome into my ward. An elderly Irish lady was hollering at me from the one and only sofa in the section unit. She had impressively noticed that I was indeed bald. A condition called alopecia, but don't worry, I'm not, I'm not dying yet. I assumed it was my head she was referring to and not actually my see you next Tuesday, as I don't believe I displayed that on my entrance. (laughs) At least not to my knowledge. But who knows, because now I'm officially nuts. A doctor and a student confirmed it. I just met them, but that was fine. Ten minutes, to be precise. I was lost, I felt numb. My heart stopped, my feelings had left me. I was floating outside my body. I was watching all this unfold on someone who looked just like me. A bald see you next Tuesday. I was underwater. I was drowning. My hand was out, but no one was there. I didn't exist. Please, please, could someone save me? I'm drowning, please. For those of you that don't know anything about being sectioned, and I'm hoping that that's the majority of you, I have the pleasure to explain. Once upon a time, my head hurt a lot, and I didn't know what to do. So I was put somewhere very special. No, not the land of Oz, Butlins, or even Blackpool. The place was called Section. I was given drugs, prescribed. I was a patient, stroke inmate. I was in a room, but it was more like a containing zone. There was a lot of shame. There was fear. There was fear. There was fear. There was shame. Did I mention the fear? Oh, and Jesus, he was in room 12. Thank you for that, Gail. Um, that was awesome, though obviously a really awful experience. <laughs> it's awesome and awful, all yeah, in which, one sentence. Yeah, which kind of it kind of brings me on to the sort of first thing I want to discuss and think about, really, which is where do we think that the urge to write about experiences of mental illness and mental distress comes from? <coughs> why do you think people do it? Or why have you done it? And is it different using different forms of creative writing or creative expression? Um, who wants first shot at that one? Not me, I'm a bit sweaty now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, well, I can start maybe with my perspective. I think, for me, it tends to be things that I, I can't really understand yeah. the logic of how a certain thing happened. I mean, there seemed to be uh, quite a lot of that in what Gail was reading there as well. And that 
there's certain things that will happen in your life and they may be hard. Um, like my, my mother died in January, but it made sense because she was of a certain age and she'd yeah. had a great life and she'd been ill for a while. Then that made sense. So that doesn't cause the same turmoil of what was sad. Well, something that to an outsider might seem like a much smaller thing, not making any sense or not seeming just, can, I think, very often be a starting point for me. And it's almost like trying to communicate to the world. Does anybody out here understand? It's almost like a kind of, you know, like being in the middle of just letting out a scream, but the scream takes the form of a song. And sometimes it may not sound anything like an angry or frightened scream. It may sound funny. I mean, there was a lot of bits in what Gail read that had an awful lot of humour. And But at the time, it probably wasn't a particularly funny experience. <laughs> You know? I can, yeah, I can laugh about it now, but at yeah. the time it was terrible. Yeah, and I think I think that's the the thing. It's almost trying to for me. It's like just trying to make an, a, a human connection, hopefully with other humans who, in some way, will resonate. And they probably don't have the answer either, but they maybe feel a little bit better that there's more than just one of us that's confused and lost yeah. and frightened about it. So it's kind of it's kind of making sense of stuff, and it's also kind of reaching out to other people and making a connection. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Does that sound right for you, John? Does that makes sense. That's uh, yeah, absolutely. That sounds absolutely spot on. And um, I guess just following on from what you're saying, that if you think about something like anxiety, for example, where there can be a whirling thought going round in your mind. <coughs> that you think, oh my God, I hope this doesn't happen or I'm very concerned or worried about this. And you just keep repeating the thought and the, it doesn't go anywhere. It just amplifies round and round. There's something about the sheer discipline of writing it down into that logic where it is, says, you know, I'm worried about this and because of that, this could be the consequence and if that happens, this will be the result, but I might be able to do something about it. And it, it creates a narrative and almost captures it, if you will, on the paper or the computer, rather than just leaving it as this whirling thing going round. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's a kind of thing about um, setting down your experiences or sort of doing your thinking and writing, but it's kind of like writing your own story and reading it back to yourself. That <laughs> kind of makes... It's kind of you're writing your own thoughts, which kind of build the thoughts that you have later. Um, what do you reckon, Michael? I think that um, people want to tell their stories and they want to connect with others. And I do think that there's something special about being published in whatever form you're being published in. I think there's something special about writing, not necessarily better than the other arts, but something that has its own distinctive flavor. Uh, 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 the whole notion of speaking, writing, telling one's story. I think is, is important, and, um, and um, it's also a kind of identity that people take on. I'm, I'm a, I may be a person with a certain kind of disorder, uh, mental disorder, and I'm a writer. Um, so. There's one other little thing that occurred to me is sometimes I think for me there's also a thing of the legacy of not wanting the, the legacy of um, your own legacy or part of your life to be this thing that just caused pain and turmoil. Yeah. And suddenly, what the legacy of the thing 
seems to be transformed into a song that other people have maybe came up and told you that was played at our wedding or that was a song that helped me through a difficult time or that book um, made me laugh at certain bits that I recognised about some of the turmoil I was going through. So it's a thing of almost, if the de- thing's not given a logical, neat, tidy, happy ending, you're almost giving it some sort of resolution. Yeah, well, it's like, like writing's quite magical, isn't it? Because kind of what you're often doing is transmuting base metals into gold. You're sort of turning terrible stuff into stuff that might not be so terrible, hopefully. So, Gail, we heard from you. What were your urges and your impulse for doing that? You'll, you'll need a microphone yeah, as well. <laughs> we're figuring this one out. Um, <clears throat> well, when, when I was sectioned, it, it was so unreal because I knew that I had lots of things that were going on and, and I was getting very, very depressed and it was getting worse and worse. And I never thought once I'd get four big strapping policemen and a police van for, you know, I'm not the tallest person in the world. And they came all heavy-handed to where I was having lunch with a friend and they said, are, are you Gil Porter? And I was like, yeah. And they went, we need to take you to the hospital. So it was all, like we were saying before, it's like, it doesn't, doesn't make any sense and it's all terrible and you don't know how to explain it. And then once I sort of got through that 17 hours, I was held in, in a hospital waiting, I called it a cell, until a doctor came and his assistant student and decided I was going to get sectioned for 28 days. And once I managed to get through all of that, I was looking back on it and I was going, that was actually funny it's not funny, but it was, you know, I'm sitting in regulation pyjamas and I managed to break into the office in the section place one day and I ordered a pizza, right, for everyone. And I got all the people in my ward. I know it's not that funny, but we all put our pyjamas on back to front and when the pizza man came to deliver the pizzas, we're all with our back to front jammies on. And then the nurses are going, who's ordered the pizza? And they were going, where's Gil Porter? I'm like, yeah, who's laughing now? Oh, yeah, you're still laughing because we're still locked up. But anyway, we had a pizza. So any, But, yeah, I just thought it'd be quite good to write down, you know, I find some of it pretty hard when I think back of some of the awful things that happened and the amount of drugs they gave you. For When I first turned up, I, did, I questioned everything. By day two, I was like, give me the law. Seroquel, diet, I'll take it, whatever you want, just give it to me, I just want to be numb and make the woman with the headphones on stop playing the bongos because it's doing my head in. So I thought if I can try and turn it into a little bit of humour but also um, lay out how, um, how bad the system was as well and, and how lonely it was and I thought even if someone else can read this book and maybe get a bit of a smile but know that they weren't alone in the same sort of situation, if that makes any sense to anything. So, so there's this kind of a thing about um, writing about your own experiences. It's kind of almost like bearing witness to the things that have happened to you to be able to sort of say, well, look, it's not just coming out of my mouth. It's also here and you can read it and you can take it away and you can think about it. So it's kind of, in some sense, it's like taking it out of yourself and turning it into something else. Does that sort of make sense for everyone? Which kind of, you know, it leads me on to my second question for our panel this afternoon, um, what do you reckon the value of tackling mental distress and mental illness in writing is? Is it different when people who've experienced bad stuff write about things than when other people do? So, so what is the kind of value, not necessarily for your own personal development, but is there a value in people with direct experience of bad stuff 
writing about stuff and getting it out there in public. Um, I'm going to go to John. Well, um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to keep mentioning our website, Right to Recovery, because, um, because I'm just going to. And uh, the, the point of that is that we want people to do exactly that. But yeah. We want people to precisely get the stuff out there for a whole load of reasons. Firstly, I think the worst feeling in the world is to think that you're uniquely damned and that you alone have got these horrible experiences. And to, to put your story out there of what you've experienced tells us that you've experienced it and it also tells us that you've survived it enough to still be writing and communicating, which in itself is, is witness to something. And it creates, I, I hope, a community and people can see... Well, actually, I'm not alone. Lots of people have been through these horrible experiences. Lots of people have had to face difficult things and they've managed to find the humour in it. That, that comes out a lot. You know, people have found the bits in it that are inherently funny. Um, and it, 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 I guess it gives us all hope. Um, and I suppose what you, know, what you were saying at the beginning about this golden age of writing, because of, obviously because of modern technology, people can do a bit of writing. You could log onto a website and have people reading your story. You could write it this afternoon and have people reading it this evening. And it's, yeah. you know, you get that immediacy. Um, cool. Who wants to go next? Who wants to bite off a bit of this conversation pie and chew it up? <laughs> uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to be a little bit loose about writing. Uh, I think there are, there are lots of folks who aren't going to write or don't want to write or don't really feel connected with it who speak who may tell their stories and that there's, there's a connection to writing there. The stories sometimes are written down, uh, sometimes published, you know, uh, interviews with folks. Um, in the in US and Connecticut, we have something called Recovery Speaks where people go around and tell their stories. And uh, the, the th I guess two things really come through, and, and those could be published, sometimes aren't published. What comes through for me would be uh, two things. One is the authority of experience. That is, unlike anything else, it's unlike someone, let's say, who works with people with mental illnesses or mental health challenges, uh, talking about it. It doesn't mean that experience itself uh, and expertise isn't important. But there's an authority um, uh, with, with that experience that is different uh, than 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 the other, on others' uh, words. And the other thing is, uh, as you've just noticed, John, noted, is uh, that person has survived. You can hear these stories, uh, sometimes horrific stories of people's experience, and that person is standing there before you or on the page before you, having, having uh, survived and been around and been able to tell their story. What do you reckon? Okay. Me again. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I think everyone's got a valid point about, you know, I think, I think just getting things down on paper, like you said, it's, it's the whole isolated feeling. And if you can find humour in it and you can help other people, I mean, that's the reason I'm doing it. And also, I think that I had so many weird, bad experiences, but yeah, there was 
you know, other positive things. There was one guy in my ward who was actually really nice, and he wasn't, he was just like a student nurse, and he couldn't do enough for everybody else. Whereas the doctor would come and go once every two weeks and see you for a couple of minutes and go, how are you feeling? I went, I'm brilliant. Are, are you? No. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm locked up. And the woman keeps talking to God down the toilet at 3 a.m. every morning, 3 a.m., flush the toilet, talk to God. And Jesus. I don't know why Jesus was in room 12. Anyway, but I just thought if I write it down, I'll let people know. I just wanted people to feel that they're not on their own. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. I know I think it's funny sometimes, but there are times I could sit and write and I will be in tears thinking, oh, why was it me? Why did that happen to me? But like you say, being a survivor, I suppose, and you come out, I didn't really think of it like that. You mentioned that earlier, and I was like, I suppose, because I was thinking, God, how am I still here? Not, but not in a good way. I think, how does it... But you're right, if you can get through these sort of things, you can probably get through many things. It's not the worst thing in the world, but, you know, it's pretty tough. <laughs> not funny. Well, it was funny, was it? I don't know, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I'm done now, sorry. Yeah, I think in in the world of kind of pop or rock music, sometimes there's a a sort of glamour attached to the notion of um, the troubled artist. Yeah. And some people aspire to be like that. And sometimes, unfortunately, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. It's almost like they will themselves to be that troubled person and then sometimes I think it was the thing you said about the authority of experience sometimes you'll get people who desperately I think in, in, in the world of music will try to project that on themselves when it's not actually an authentic experience it's something they've sort of manuf- manufactured a, a character for themselves so you end up with things that are maybe overly earnest and um, people sometimes might be fooled by it, but a lot of the time it just doesn't ring true because it lacks other dimensions. It's just the earnest, I'm so troubled, I'm so... And there isn't the elements of light, the elements of hope, um, the elements of humour, and sometimes almost self-ridicule or something, putting yourself in the vulnerable position. It becomes more like just a studied thing. And I, I think, you know, music, I think uh, there's a really dangerous trend just now of things being overly earnest. Um, so it almost seems to be like a fashion. Every note that's sung can't be just a single note. It has to be a pain. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I think music is there. You know, it's like, you know, the, the, the beauty that even the most troubled people you know, have seen and, you know, um, offered hope. And so I, I, I think it is that thing, the, the authentic experience. I think that just rings true. And people, honesty becomes more and more a rare thing in this world. And we're just touched by it. And they make a connection. And, you know, they'll, they'll be in their bedroom and they're like, none of my friends, my parents don't seem to understand this. And they put on a song and they go, that's how I feel. And there's another person like me. And you know what? There's other people also listening to this in other places. And suddenly you have that thing of... I mean, I, I've had it so many times with other people's songs. You feel, I'm not actually alone. Maybe I'm actually going to be OK. 
So something about um, this exciting golden age that we're in now where, you know, if we have experienced mental health difficulties, we can get our experiences out there. But in some ways, there's a kind of corrective to all of those really dominant cultural ideas about madness and mental health and stuff like that, which we've been sort of hearing about in the other sessions today, the sort of stuff about the mad genius and all that sort of stuff. Um, And it's kind of, there's a massive place for mundane stuff and a lot of the experiences you have when you're experiencing mental health difficulties are kind of mundane and boring and just kind of awkward and uncomfortable. That's, that's basically me. I experience mental health difficulties myself and my entire life is just basically one big elbow. <laughs> just one big gangly uncomfortableness. Um, my third question to you all is, is it different writing for yourself um, than writing for an audience? Because I sometimes see that there's sometimes a confusion between writing as therapy and writing as practice. Um, So everyone says, well, I just do it for myself, and if anyone else likes it, it's a bonus. But is that actually true when it comes to writing from your own experience of mental health difficulty? Anyone want to pitch in for that one? Um, Well, with me, it's sort of almost actually is true. But... I like the fact that other people do seem to connect to it. But I feel like I can't almost adjust the notion of trying to do it for other people because I'm, I'm not them. But I'm not doing it in a selfish way. I'm doing it in a way that I want to just be honest and true to, to how, how I'm feeling. And, um, and it's just one of these things. Yeah, you're doing, you're doing it for yourself, but you're, you're hoping that people will go, Oh, really? That's kind of interesting, because, yeah, I, I felt like that. So, yeah, writing for, for, for oneself, I've found very often sometimes I've written songs that are so personal and about such a specific thing. I've went, is this just too, too into myself? I'm just too, too internal here? And nearly always they end up being the songs that seem to make the massive connection rather than the ones that felt more general and more open. Yeah. People seem to really connect, and you go, how does that work? It's almost like, yeah, the more honest and more internal and the more about myself that is, it feels like it's actually more universal. Yeah. Anyone else want to have a bash at that question? <laughs> I, I guess um, my experience of writing is that, yes, it's nice to write and think you're being just doing it for yourself, but I guess I can only be honest and say I do imagine an audience reading the writing anyway, yeah. and I imagine them enjoying a magnificent turn of phrase or a fabulous <laughs> metaphor or something like that. So there's the ego comes into it anyway, even no matter how honest you're trying to be. And, you know, reading the stuff that people have produced about their own narratives, I do remember, I remember especially honesty. Honesty jumps out in a big way. And some of the small phrases that people have written in, in, in stories of their own recovery journey have, have moved me deeply. And it might be just the phrase that somebody has said, for example, um, I've been through all this experience. You know, they're talking to themselves mm. and say, I've been through this, all this experience and I love you. And just seeing somebody writing I love you to themselves, I find incredibly moving. Yeah. So... I, I don't know if that has got anything to do with the question. <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's, it's kind of quite a difficult question because, you know, Michael, you mentioned there was something really important about being published. Um, there's something about writing 
Well, we kind of, even when we say, oh, well, I'm just doing it for myself, I don't really care, I'm not going to show it to anyone, kind of in the back of our head, we always have the idea that somehow someone's going to go, yeah, we'll give you a boot deal and it's going to be awesome. You get to wear a black polo neck okay. and you get to go and swan around and you get to lead panel discussions in Glasgow and stuff like that. <laughs> um, do you think there's sometimes a bit of a tension between sort of the act or the wish to explore things kind of therapeutically, to understand yourself and your experiences, and also the wish that other people will say you're absolutely awesome and then buy you a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> or it, actually, in, in the, the, the reality of publishing is they'll buy you a, like an old Ford Mondale or something with the bumper hanging off. But anyway, do you think there's a tension there? Yeah, I think there's a tension. I, I'll just say you know, something about the, you know, your, your last question too. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I stopped writing journals decades ago. Um, so just about any time I'm writing, I'm thinking... Whether or what I'm going to get, whether I'm what I'm writing will ever get published or not, is this working? Yeah. Um, um, I'm thinking about an audience, and 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 part of that's just ego. I mean, and, and but part of it is, uh, and and part of it is you know ego and isn't this really good? You know, isn't this in fact actually good? And part of it is is connecting uh, what it what it is you're experiencing with uh, with other people. And um, so, so there are lots of tensions in there, and, the, and I think that's okay. Um, I always like to work with tensions, you know, work with my own honesty and dishonesty and see what I can do with it. And uh, there's, there's usually not a, a, a final answer to whether I've achieved it, you know. Um, but but it's, it's part of the, the process of writing, I think. And Gail, you're writing a book. How does it feel? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask me. I don't know oh, why. I just I can feel it. I, I can ask something. Um, yeah, no, it's it's okay. I have good days and bad days, like I said before. But um, I kind of I, I don't think I'm like it just for me. I really want other people to read it and go, oh yeah, shit, that happened to me, or shit, does that really happen, or shit, just <laughs> that, and then it'll be made into a movie, and then Matt Lucas will play me. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Then I'll get a car. Brilliant. Um, <laughs> so, no, seriously, that's it. Yeah, one, one sort of final thing before we throw it open to the floor. Um, there's something about writing about mental distress and mental health difficulty um, when you're currently experiencing it that's different about writing about it in retrospect. So there's kind of there's memoirs which is your kind of parceling up a particular period or time in your life and writing about that as it's passed and hopefully you're in a better place. But then, because we've got the internet and stuff like that, there's also quite a lot of scope for writing about really bad stuff that you're going through when you're going through it. Um, and I'm kind of wondering whether you think, any of you think that there's kind of difficulties or challenges with that? So kind of writing about a situation that isn't finished for you and then putting it out in public versus something being finished and the chapter being over and you writing it up. Um, so anyone wants to have a go at that one? Yeah. I've, I've found that when I've been doing the book, I can have my good days, like I've said a couple of times, but if I get in a really dark place, like with my, um, whether it's bipolar or whatever's happening to me that day, and then I try and write... I noticed a massive difference in what I've written from, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going to handle this all really carefully to suddenly me getting really, really depressed, and it gets really dark, and then my head goes into a really awful... 
place and then I actually make myself more ill because yeah. I'm thinking about it. So exactly what you're saying. And so I'm not doing myself any favours. And that's the time that I should just go, right, that has to go away for a bit and I need to go for a walk or a run or anything, just get out of the house. But, you know, I'll put on depressing music and then it just gets darker and darker and darker. And then it sort of, yeah, it brings up a whole load of stuff that I haven't really dealt with properly, which I should have done. 28 days and that. Well, actually, it was 17 days. I got out early for good behaviour. Yeah, I think so. One of the things that I always say to people is like, okay, you know, you have experienced mental health difficulties, I've experienced mental health difficulties. My one bit of advice to you is if you want to do writing, you don't always have to write about mental health. Just write about other stuff that you think is interesting. Um, That's you, true. You, right. something you, get kind of like, you can kind of get... It's kind of a big responsibility being the sort of captain of your own ship <laughs> and sort of making your own narrative and sailing it yourself. And sometimes you kind of lose control and there's a bit of a mutiny and then you just crash into some big rocks and it's horrible. <laughs> um, if you're sailing your own ship and there's a mutiny, how's that going to happen? Uh, well, Are you just going to do it yourself? <laughs> but basically, yes. That's, that's what I'm, yeah. I, I'm an entire crew in that. Um, any other thoughts about that kind of writing about stuff as you're going through it versus writing about it when it's finished or over? Um, uh, my experience with... Um, most people I've known who, who've had what we would call serious psychiatric disorders um, is that usually they they're, have, have reached a point where they can look back and write about something that happened to them that is pretty difficult for them to be writing about that experience in, in the middle of it. Um, my own experience with uh, uh, living with grief after my son died and writing about it pretty or starting or planning and, um, f- uh, not too long after the event that it, it was uh, um, it was what I did it was what I did to survive but that wasn't why I was doing it um, in fact I would get really annoyed with people after the book was published who would say so was it cathartic for you and I said it had nothing to do with it yeah. I wrote the book because I wanted to tell a story and I wanted to tell the truth and I wanted to um I, in fact, was trying to tell a different truth than I felt had been in, uh, left, uh, that, that the medical truth that became very dominant, sort of a long story, was that an um, unfortunate young man who uh, uh, had a surgical accident, end of story. So I was trying to retrieve uh, my son and, and, in a sense, my story you know, with him, my family story with him. But I was you know, also in, uh, in the middle of my own grief in writing that, so it was partly how I coped, it was partly how I grieved, but that was my situation. So it's so, so kind of, um, it wasn't just sort of writing as therapizing, you know, yeah. therapizing is a word. Um, so it wasn't just, just writing to make sense, but it was also wanting to tell or do something as well. Um, so you, you two, what, what do you reckon? Sometimes for me, it's almost. People again will say, "Oh, it must be very therapeutic that you know you've went through some dark thing or something that really, really hurted, hurted, but really hurt, and um, you were able to you know make a song out or make an album out of it." And again, at the time, it doesn't feel that way. It actually, sometimes feels almost exactly the opposite. It's like a lot of sensible people would walk away from the pain, but I think a lot of artists, they stay in the pain and they sort of almost feed 
on it. Well, and well, if, if, if the pain's paying the bills, then... Well, <laughs> it's not even... Well, it doesn't pay the bills particularly for me, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing of, yeah, like wanting to tell the truth, wanting to tell the story as you, as you see the story being and somehow trying to make sense of it. But it doesn't... For me, if there is any sort of therapy, then it comes much later when the thing is released, or even years later mm. when someone comes up and says, I was sitting in my car one night and I wasn't sure I could go home ever again and I heard a song. And you're like, which one? And you say, and you go, really? What is that one? And they go, that made the difference and made me able to go home or made me go and seek some sort of help or phone somebody. Then, or you just see people smiling or happy to see you because you've turned up somewhere to do a show or something. Then, but during the actual thing of doing it, and even very often while you're recording it, it doesn't feel... It feels a bit like, oh, I'm still here, I'm still... You know, this happened three months ago and I'm holding <coughs> on to this thing because I'm trying to make some sort of document of it. And the final word on that, John? Well, um, the, the website we've produced for people to write from, we have no control of whether they're in a good place or whether they're in a bad place. They just do what they do. But what we are, what we are doing is we've set, we've given people some themes and prompts, and I've left bits of paper around for you to have a look at. That we've we've given people some themes and prompts to maybe look at aspects of the story that they don't normally look at, and this could be something incredibly simple, which I just invite you to think about. Um, if you think about human distress and the tendency is to, f the tendency can be to see it at its worst as a constant, as a constant feeling. But in the course of a day, there will be some variation and it will move up and down. So we're inviting people to write, for example, just even briefly, about things that make them happy. And so somebody has put on the website a wee story and it says, you know, I've been depressed for years, I've stopped noticing what makes me happy. And today I'm sitting, looking out the window at the sunshine in the garden and the cat is stretching in the sun and in this precise moment I'm happy. And I know that's an incredibly simple example, but it's just to help to flag up to people so that they can kind of reflect on their own life. And the trick is to spot those variations and to begin to see them as important so that, um, that, that you're aware that it's not... Things aren't constant. That's Right, so, so that brings us back to the title of the day, isn't it? It's the dust <coughs> of everyday life. Exactly. It's what you're looking for. Right, we've got time for a few questions. Um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to take maybe two questions at once. <laughs> That's all right. Yes. I've not, I've not killed you by that. <laughs> so I thought maybe you'd been assassinated. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lady in the stripy. This is brilliant. This dimbleby bit. Lady in the stripy jumper. Um, yeah. Writing things down, uh, better than the spoken word sometimes about things, it's just kind of saying, see me, cool. you know, it's not always seen, and it, it's not to get it published or anything, sometimes people just write down, you know, a bit of scribble, not a, 
a novel or anything, you know. That's what I was thinking about is, is sharing your experience as well and the And another question. I think it's another s stripy jump there, <laughs> but but a different orientation. The, the first one was horizontal. This one's vertical. It's like fashion. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> it was just one of the questions you said about why do you write? Um, do any of the panel feel that their writing might actually change policy, or that the people that they work with their writings could change policy? Uh, when you talked about the authority of experience, um, I was really touched by Gail's account of uh, being sectioned. I'm sure anybody who's been sectioned or, or their family will find it's hor a horrific experience. And I, I'd like to think we could look back in 40 years and say, oh, that was a barbaric process that we used to do. Surely there must be a, a different way to do it. Um, the place that I was in, that's closed down now. And then um, I tried to, when I got released, released, <coughs> quite like that. Um, anyway, but when they let me out, whatever, and the, the doctor came to see me after 17 days. And then he said, I'm not sure why you're here. You can go now. And after 17 days, and you're drug fueled, and then they just let you out. I was like in Marks and Spencer's, just wanted a sandwich, and I felt like I was a criminal. And, and then I went to my doctor, I said, so where do we go now? It is, it's barbaric, and, and nothing. They put me on a waiting list to go and see someone in Camden, and then I couldn't make the actual date they gave me, so they said, you're going to have to wait another three months. I was like, so hang on a minute, you lock me up with all these, you know, very colourful people, then you drug me up, then you let me out, and then I'm six months down the line and I haven't had anything. It is barbaric. It's, it's, and then they close the place down, so I don't know where everyone's going. My house. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, but I, hope it's, I hope it changes. There's so many people talking about it nowadays, and I think, I mean, it's got to change because it was just horrific. So we kind of got, we got, like, between the two questions there, we've got a thing that's about sort of writing for a very, very big purpose, which is trying to change the world. And there's writing for a very, very small thing, which might just be making a note to yourself to say, I am awesome today, still. <laughs> um, is that a small thing? Sorry. <laughs> wow, we got Heckler, which is amazing. <laughs> I thank you. Um, any, any thoughts about sort of writing for big things and small things? our panel as long as it makes you feel good or better and however you do it i think whether you're writing a diary or you write yourself a couple of lines to say i am awesome or you know today's not the best day you know but it's 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 whatever you want privately it's you know it's up to yourself whatever makes you feel better or whichever helps you you know yeah, well, it's, it's funny, I, I interviewed Robert Wyatt, who I'm sure a lot of you will know is a great songwriter, interpreter of other songs, and, um, you know, an artist, and a lot of his songs are very political and about issues that he cares very much about and he wants to change in the world. And I asked him what was most important. Was it that people liked it as a piece of music or actually would change things or 
make them think differently. And he said, and I was surprised, the human connection and the fact that the, the postman potentially whistling the tune, he said that connection to the heart was more important to him than the connection, uh, the, the big issue thing. And he, I think that's because he felt, yeah, the big issue thing is it'd be great if you take that upon And that's what I care about, and that's why I write about that as my subject in my lyrics. But if still the thing I'm striving for is to make another connection with a human being, and I love music, and it's touched me as a human being. And that's the way I, I really ultimately want to communicate with other people more than the words or more than the issues. John, have you got any thoughts on this? Um, well, I mean, it's... There's no, there's no dichotomy. It's not that you know we need small things and big things. We need both, and they're both equally valid. And it is important to notice moments of happiness in the course of a day. And it's also fantastically important to be moved by people like Gail's story, who've seen it from the inside. And and sort of institutions are a bit like prisons. Unless you've been in them, you don't know what the inside story actually is. You need to hear it from a witness, and then that provokes us to think: Hang on a minute, is that is that really what they is that really what they actually do? Is that what we're paying for as taxpayers? I, th I, th I thought we were providing something much more humane than that. And that's quite you know, and, and one is genuinely shocked when you hear they're not still doing that, are they? Um, in the first case, um, when you write, write for yourself or write to yourself, in a sense, you, you are writing to someone else. Uh, you, the person who wrote this thing about your feelings or about whatever you're going through, uh, can, are, are then the, 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 the person who is reading it and understanding it. And um, that can be a liberating kind of thing. In the second case, um, in the United States, I can think of two uh, documents, two books. One was called The Shame of the States that was written after, uh, was written late, late 1940s about, these were conscientious objectors uh, who did not fight in the war but in many cases worked in, in uh, psychiatric institutions and um, the guy's name was uh, Deutsch uh, writing about having worked in the uh, uh, mental institutions as they were called and um, that had a had policy significance uh, uh, ultimately. Uh, another one uh, was uh, uh, and I'm, I never promised you a rose garden. I'm actually not sure if that was a U.S. or U.K. Uh, author, but uh, it was a person's uh, her own experience that also had uh, a large impact on mm -hmm. people's uh, uh, sense of outrage over uh, uh, some of the conditions that people uh, lived in. Yeah, I, th I think it's always worth remembering that um, lots of little things add up to a big thing. If you can find the way of putting them together. Um, sometimes some of us have the platform or the power to completely change the world by writing that one book that hits the right time, hits the right issue at the right time. Others of us might be contributing to an overall change, but every little titchy thing can go together with every other little titchy thing. Right, and in terms of thinking about titchy things, we've got time for one short question, just one, and then we have to wrap up. So I can see a hand right at the back, that was first. Um, I can't see you've got your hand up. I can see this sort of waving pale hand. That's it, hello. Can you the
Sorry? Describe the jumper. I can't. It's, 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 it's a very dark jumper. The person's wearing glasses. Hi. Hi. Yeah, they found me. Um, question is for it's been discussed uh, the sort of importance of being published. And um, I was just wondering for those of you that do consider yourself writers, what happened and when did you can have that title and accept that title for yourself? So, was there a key moment when you were able to look at yourself and think, I'm a writer? That's a fantastic question. I'm not a writer, I'm just someone who asks about doing mental health stuff. So I'll hand that over to my esteemed colleagues. Any of you consider yourselves to be writers? I consider myself to be a writer. Um, I think I was about 18 years old when I decided that I wanted to be a writer. Before anything else, I wanted to be a writer. I think the next stage for me uh, of sort of persuading myself that I was a writer was when I... Uh, uh, took the, the leap of sending things out for review. Um, that, that leap was uh, necessary for me to really feel as though I was a writer. Anyone else? Anyone else feeling particularly ethereal? <laughs> I think for me it was probably the first time some, well I, I'm a songwriter primarily, I mean I, I sometimes contribute to other forms of uh, stuff, but yeah, it was probably for me the point where someone else uh, performed one of my songs, and I thought, oh wow, that must have some worth outside just me doing things for myself, making up songs for myself. Yeah. So I actually felt like, and then I started considering writing for other people's voices and stuff. So yeah, I guess that was my turning point. Cool. Any any of you twos got a thought on that? I'll just have a bash at anything, um, as long as it makes me happy. And I might not be very good at it, but I enjoy doing it, and life's too short, so, so I don't so know so what I am, really. You're a writer if you feel like yeah, it that day, and you're it. doing some. Exactly. <laughs> what, you, final word to John? Well, I, I think, to say briefly, um, we all think that there's a stage... You know, you, you talk about learning the piano. I'm just learning the piano. And then you imagine that there's going to be a fantasy stage where you're playing the piano. Well, of course you're <laughs> playing it when you're learning it. And you, and you have to make an internal decision. I am playing the piano. I'm learning it, but I'm playing it. So as soon as you pick up a pen and write, you're effectively writing. And, and you don't know the power of some very simple sentence that you've created and you put out there will, will have on someone else. So it, it doesn't have to be Shakespeare. It doesn't have to be Shakespeare. It's a fantastic point to end on. It just leaves it for me to say thank you to our panel. If you can give them a round of applause, that would be awesome.